Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 32 to 52. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to him, to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling to you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of God. Well, I'm very grateful to be here and um, very thankful that Rob would ask me, especially knowing that this is his first, his first week off. Um, but I want to commend not only his leadership, but the leadership of your elders and I'm sure other, uh, other administrators and people in your church, just for how thorough and how, um, how wonderful this experience has already been just for me personally uh, to come and serve as a guest preacher. Um, the, the level of communication has been very good. Uh, just knowing all the precautions that you're taking as a church family uh, to provide a place where you're loving your, your members well by providing a, a clean and safe place for people to feel comfortable about being here. Uh, I'm very, I'm very um, just grateful to the Lord for how your leadership and you as members are, uh, are just rising to the occasion. This pandemic has not been easy for anyone, but I can tell you the level of 
um, of attention to detail that your leaders have, have committed to at this church, just looking as an outsider and coming in, I can say this is one of the safest churches that anybody could come to, and I, I commend you for that. Um, and anyone who's hesitant about coming and returning, hey, take those 60 slots. And as soon as they can open it to 70, you know, be here. Uh, it, it's a blessing to be here in person uh, and, and for your children to be here as well. So I just want to commend you, uh, brothers and, and sisters, all who have put a lot of careful thought and attention into this. Um, so my name is Nathan. Uh, I'm the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church, as was mentioned, and I'm very grateful. Oh, I actually, I'm sorry. I wanted to commend you for one more thing. Are, are you getting tired of hearing me uh, commend you for, for certain things? I, I want to actually commend you for, uh, for offering your pastor um, three months off and for his family and just to be able to uh, come and, and sit and, and hear the, the preaching of the word and to listen and, and be a part of, uh, of, the, of the membership here uh, without those kinds of responsibilities that I'm sure he has every single day. Um, that's a blessing as well. So I want to commend you for that. Uh, as well. So, all right, well, with that, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10. Uh, the Word has been read, and I, I know that it's uh, two stories. Uh, it's a little bit of a lengthier passage of Scripture, but I, uh, there, there was something that the Lord just showed me in the passage that I couldn't uh, I, I couldn't cut it out. I, I, I had to put these two stories together, and you'll see why in a moment. Um, but in the course of this story, as we look at Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, um, we're going to see a lot of, of sons. We see, first of all, the sons of Zebedee. And then we're going to see the blind, uh, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. So those are the two central cast of characters, uh, the, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and then Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, but of course, most importantly, we didn't come here to worship uh, the sons of Zebedee. We didn't come here to exalt the name of Bartimaeus. We came here to exalt the name of Jesus. And he is referred in this passage as the son of David. He's referred to as the son of man. And what I hope that we'll see after we look at all of these sons is that we'll see the son of God. And that we'll see him exalted and, uh, and his purposes known, uh, not only to us, but to all people. And so the first um, individuals that we want to look at is the, is the sons of Zebedee. And I'm, I'm kind of titling this portion of the sermon, the blind sons of Zebedee. The blind sons of Zebedee. Because in verse uh, 35 and following, and we'll come back to verse 32 a little bit later, but in 35 and following, we are introduced to James and John. And all through the Gospels, you've seen James and John appear on the scene. They are some close, some of the closest followers of Jesus, uh, part of the 12 who, uh, who have been appointed by Jesus to follow him and to serve him and to serve as his apostles. And they ask a certain question. Now, the reason why it's so important for us to look at James and John before we look to Jesus is because of how much they miss. And I call them the blind sons of Zebedee because as 10 chapters have gone by, James and John have had a front row seat to see all that Jesus has done. His teaching, 
his healing, his ministry, uh, all that he has rebuked, uh, the, the religious leaders who are, who are leading people astray, just all the different ways that Jesus has taught and led. And James and John have had a front row seat at the very edge of everything that Jesus has done. And yet here we are in chapter 10. And this is kind of a turning point, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to, to choose this passage prayerfully. Uh, I considered what to bring before you today. And uh, this is kind of a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Because up to this point, uh, the disciples are the only ones who have really recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. But even then, they're still confused as to what the Messiah has come to do. They still don't understand why Jesus, who is the Messiah, and they rightly recognize him as the Messiah, what it is that he's coming to do. What, is his, what are his plans? What is his purpose? And so when James and John, this is kind of the last thing before the turning point where all of a sudden Jesus is revealing himself for who he really is and why he came, James and John are asking this question in verse 35. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. We want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Um, in Christianity today, this is often our relationship with Jesus. This is, this is our relationship with Jesus, is that we want Jesus to do whatever we ask. And so right here in the very first verse, James and John are tipping their hand. They're kind of exposing themselves for their self-interests, for their self-centered desires. And they are also reflecting that they don't quite see Jesus' purpose. They've seen Jesus feed the crowds. They've seen Jesus care and show compassion to the multitudes. And so now they're kind of asking, Jesus, we want you to do what we want. Um, and of course, they haven't shared what they want yet, but Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And that question that Jesus asked is also important. Because Jesus is asking that question to us today. What do, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, he invites us to bring our deepest needs and our desires to him. That doesn't mean that he's going to answer it the way that we ask. But here's what they say, and this kind of further exposes their selfishness. They say to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. These sons of Zebedee are privileged and are seeking greater privilege. The reason why I say that is because these sons of Zebedee, James and John, according to Scripture, they had left a thriving fishing trade on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, what we know about them is very little, but what we do know is that their father, in addition to his sons, had hired others to work his business for him. And in that particular time in the first century, uh, in this time when Jesus was uh, in human flesh, walking amongst the people there in Galilee, um, that this was a time where you, 
uh, you, you really kind of fended for yourself. There weren't a whole lot of business leaders. There wasn't really what we would know as a middle class. There were the rich people and there were the poor people. And so the fact that James and John, their father, had a, a fishing industry with other hired helpers kind of indicates to us, not conclusively, but kind of indicates to us that, uh, that, that he was very well to do and, and, and was able to, uh, you know, to do better than, than most. And so James and John, of course, we know the story that they left that to follow Jesus. But now Jesus has invited them to be the top 12. Uh, and, you know, he's still yet to, to explain further to them how they're supposed to serve and not to be served. That comes in later in the text. But they seem to have this arrogance about them that maybe, hey, we're the favored ones. We're the upper echelon of Jesus' followers. And so we deserve a little bit more than the regular, normal uh, Jesus followers of the day. And so they say, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. These uh, disciples who, are, uh, who have known privilege are seeking greater privilege. They want the honor. They want the glory that they believe is due to them. Well, we see that Jesus recognizes their um, selfishness, and he confronts it, but he kind of does it in a roundabout way. He says in verse 38, you do not know what you are asking. You do not know what you are asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And, and, and then verse 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be in, indignant at James and John. Let me just kind of explain this a little bit. So drinking from the same cup, is, uh, is something that if we were to do that, it would mean that we kind of trust each other, uh, that we're kind of in the same family, right? But it, it also kind of signifies that this person would share the same fate. So drinking from the same cup signifies that James and John, yes, indeed, they would share uh, the same fate as Jesus, and Jesus knows that he will suffer. And those who share the cup with him will suffer. See, the, the, the following of Jesus, the call that we have been given as disciples of Jesus is not to a life of privilege or of pats on the back and of, uh, uh, of um, comfort and ease. The life that we live as disciples in sharing the same fate as Jesus is a life of suffering. It may include physical suffering. It may include persecutions. It may include all manner of, uh, of, of trials that we have to go through as we follow Jesus. And so Jesus, he knows what fate will befall them. He knows what James and John will suffer on his behalf, but they don't know it yet. And so uh, Jesus knows that that's what he will suffer. And so again, drinking from the same cup signifies sharing the same fate. And, and similarly, baptism, um, he, he mentions to be baptized with the baptism with which he is baptized. Well, baptism, as we know, is an immersion into the water uh, to come up, and that's how we signify or uh, illustrate that we have been um, 
saved in our hearts so that the, the Holy Spirit has saved us. Uh, Jesus has saved us. We have been washed clean in our hearts. And so baptism in water, going down into the water and coming up, is, is a way of illustrating that and demonstrating that to others. Uh, Jesus isn't quite talking about water baptism, really. He, he's talking more, though, about a baptism that uh, he, he says you will drink the same cup and you will have the same baptism. Baptism is not just drinking from the same cup, but being completely submerged in it. He, he's basically saying to James and John, yes, you're going to share the same fate as I will, as I will have, and, uh, and you're going to be immersed in it. You're going to be submerged in it. You're going to be completely enveloped by the same, uh, the, the same path that I will walk. So again, following Jesus isn't just sticking your toe in the water to see if the water is too hot or too cold. Instead, following Jesus is diving in and letting the rapid current of God's mercy sweep you wherever he wants you to go. And it may feel like it is just out of control, but following Jesus is, uh, is not a life of ease and comfort. Following Jesus is a life of, of complete submission, completely submitting yourself and submerging yourself in his mercy and in his sovereign care. And if that leads us into the uh, valley of the shadow of death, so be it. If that leads us into the, the paths of uh, uh, the, the green pastures, then amen. But James and John are being told here that they will endure uh, a similar fate as Jesus in his suffering and in his agony. Uh, I should note before we move on with that, uh, is that what James and John suffered is not necessarily what you and I will suffer. They, they were apostles of Jesus, that Jesus was speaking directly to them. But I think the same principles apply for us that we as followers of Jesus must follow him wherever that leads. It is, not, uh, it, it is a privilege to know God, but it is also uh, a blessing and a joy um, to share in whatever sufferings that we may face on his behalf and in his name. So, um, so as we continue, it says in verse 40 to 42 that Jesus called them to him and said to them, he calls the, the, the 12 disciples over and says to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we continue this lesson from James and John and, and, and think about what these sons of Zebedee are learning from Jesus in this moment, is not to seek the glory, not to, uh, not to ask for the position of privilege or honor or power, but instead to lay aside everything to serve. That what James and John are learning is the same lesson that you and I need to learn pretty much every day because we forget, is that following Jesus, yes, it is a privilege, but it's a life of service. It's a life of opportunity for us to give to others and to bless others. Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. There was a sign at a car mechanic that said, 
we will crawl under your car oftener and get ourselves dirtier than any of our competition. All right, that, that, was their, that was their slogan. That was how they were trying to uh, market themselves. And their point was, hey, we're going to get dirtier. We are going to serve you better than anybody else. And I think that kind of encapsulates how we as followers of Jesus should, that should be our mentality, is that we're here to serve. We're here to honor uh, others. We're here to consider others as more important than ourselves. In fact, that's the attitude that Jesus had in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, where just after Paul says, consider others as more important than yourselves, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. The form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. We'll talk more about verse 45 in a moment. But in this first story, the sons of, Jan uh, uh, the sons of Zebedee, they're showing that they're kind of blind to the reality of what Jesus came to do. They want the position of honor. They want that position of glory. But Jesus is telling them to serve. Jesus is telling them to get their, their hands and feet dirty in serving one another and in serving Christ. And so we serve because Jesus first served us. We love because Jesus first loved us. We give because Jesus first gave to us. We, we should lay aside the privileges that we were born into, the privileges that we've accumulated through education or experiences, the privilege of, 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 of um, worldly privilege, and lay those things aside so that we might follow Jesus and serve him and serve for him for his glory. Let him receive the, the glory and the credit. So that's the blind sons of Zebedee. They still don't get it. After 10 chapters, they're still kind of blind to who Jesus is. But now, the turning point. And this is where, in the, in the narrative of the Gospel of Mark, where, um, where somebody finally gets it. Somebody finally understands who Jesus is. And I want you to see some of the similarities uh, in the next portion. It says in verse 46 that they came to Jericho. And you have to understand, they're, they're headed to Jerusalem... Jesus has already said, I'm going there to die, but they're headed to Jerusalem, and they're on the way, they're on the path, and they come to Jericho, and as they leave, and they're going on to the outskirts of Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd is with them. And, and this is a pilgrimage festival, so you can imagine that there's lots of people coming to enter the city, enter Jerusalem for uh, the Passover, which is, which is coming up uh, in, in the story. They're about 18 miles from Jerusalem, and as they come, there's this great crowd around them, and they're headed that direction. But Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, and it says the son of Timaeus, which is kind of redundant because Bar Timaeus means son of Timaeus. So his name is son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. Um, he's, he's sitting by the roadside, uh, verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. 
But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? That's the same question he asked James and John. And remember, James and John, because they're still blind, they can't really see who Jesus is. They know he's the Messiah, but what is the Messiah? They, they know that he's a, a great teacher, but, but who, you know, who is he really? They, they're still a little bit confused as to Jesus' plans. About, uh, they, they're kind of getting a sense of the person of Jesus, but not so much the work of Jesus. And so uh, uh, this is the same question that Jesus asked James and John, and they answered, we want to be glorified. We want to sit with you. We want to have that position of power. But note the difference when Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And you have to know something about disabilities. In the 21st century, sometimes disabilities can cause someone to not feel seen. Not to feel as valuable or important as others. And so when we think of 21st century disabilities, there, there's, um, tragically, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of misunderstandings, there's a lot of mistreatment. There's a lot of ways in which um, those who are blind or those who are impaired in some way, physically, are looked down on. So you can imagine that in the first century, when there were no services, there was no way for someone who was blind to really, um, uh, really be functioning well in society. How a blind person or anyone with a disability must have felt in that society. So to be blind was not only to not be able to see, but it was to be unseen. To be blind was to be unknown and to have uh, a lack of social engagement and connections. I'm sure there were exceptions, but, but in many cases in the first century world, that's how someone like Bartimaeus would have felt. And so when he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight, Bartimaeus is asking to be able to see, but he's also asking to be seen. He wants to be seen by the rabbi, by Jesus. And you can already tell that he's excluded, he's, uh, he's cast aside, because we see in the text that he was, uh, he was sitting by the roadside, he's begging, and so that means he's, he doesn't have enough on his own. He doesn't have family to care for him and to provide him the meals that he needs. And so he is alone. He is doing this by himself. He is begging every day. And even when he cries out and knows that it's Jesus, and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me, many rebuke him, telling him to be silent. Why? <laughs> Jesus didn't tell him to do that. 
But it's almost like if this person over here is crying out on the side of the road, then he's forgotten. He's nobody. He's nothing. Just stop being a nuisance. I hope none of you have ever felt that way in your life, but maybe you have. And I want you to know that Jesus, uh, he cares most about our salvation. But he also shows through his interactions with people like Bartimaeus and through so many others that he cares about your whole self. He cares about everything, everything that you are. Because Jesus is our creator. All things created by him and for him and through him. He looks at you as made in the image of God. And so he looks at Bartimaeus and he says, take heart. Or actually, they say, take heart, get up. He's, he is calling you. And what Bartimaeus does next is already an indication of his faith. Um, because Bartimaeus, if, if you're a blind person and you've made your way to your favorite corner in order to beg, um, you've seen people who are blind today with, where they, they may have someone guiding them or they may have a, 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 a pole that is able to help them navigate the walkways, and they count their steps. They know how far it takes to get to a certain place. But Bartimaeus here, this is one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Mark, because what, what, what we see Bartimaeus do is he throws his cloak. Uh, he doesn't take his cloak and carefully wrap it up and set it down and then start walking. One, two, three. And make his way carefully to Jesus so that when he stops talking to Jesus, he can count his steps back. He knows this is Jesus of Nazareth. He has faith that today he is going to receive his sight. And so we see that that's exactly what happens. His, yes, he was blind, uh, but, but he sees Jesus for who he is. He even calls him son of David, which was a messianic title. Uh, to be the son of David was to be the, inherit, uh, the, the, the inheritance of the king. Um, and so to call him the son of David was, was to call him the Messiah. It was to call him the, the rightful king of kings of, of, uh, of their um, loyalty. And so as we see, Bartimaeus comes and receives his sight. But we also see Bartimaeus' faith because when Jesus says to him, go your way, go your way, your faith has made you well, we see that immediately Bartimaeus recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. So go your way means you're free to go. You've received your sight. You're able to, uh, to, to go in whatever path you're, you're ready to go. But, but Bartimaeus trusted in Jesus so much that he recognized, no, your way is my way. Jesus, the, the, wherever you're going, that's where I'm going. And so we see that the, not only did Bartimaeus receive his sight, but I would, I would argue, uh, of course this is prior to the cross, but I believe that he truly has faith in Jesus. He has faith in the promises of God, and, and by faith he trusts that Jesus is the one that he should follow. 
that he is truly the son of David and that he should follow this Jesus on whatever way that he is leading. He doesn't know that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to die on a cross. He doesn't know all the plans of what Jesus has done. All he knows is what Jesus has done for him. And so he begins to follow him on the way. The son of Timaeus saw more in an instant than the sons of Zebedee had seen after several years of following Jesus. And of course, we can uh, excuse them. Jesus hasn't made it to the cross yet in these stories. And we have the benefit of looking at what Jesus did on the cross and looking back and seeing uh, what his purposes ultimately were. So we can excuse them. Probably if we had been there, we would have had the same sort of confusion and fear. But I just love the story of Bartimaeus because he could see more in an instant than even the, the closest followers of Jesus had seen. Someone once bluntly asked uh, blind and deaf Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? To which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. We've looked at the sons of Zebedee, and we've looked at the son of Timaeus. But I want us now to finish our time together by looking at the son of David, the son of man, the son of God. Um, Even if we didn't have time, well, we don't have time, but even if we could have the time to go through the entirety of the Gospel of Mark, I think we could boil down the message of the Gospel to the fact that the Son of Man came to serve us and the Son of Man came to save us. And what we see in just these two stories is that reality. And so even if that's the only text that you had known, if, you, if this is your first time in a church gathering, uh, then even just these two stories can illustrate the fact that Jesus came to serve us. Jesus came to save us. We see it right here in the passage. Verse 45, once again, it says in uh, Mark 10, uh, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the same message that he was explaining to the sons of Zebedee, to James and John. He was telling them, look, uh, you, you must serve others. Whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. And he says, not even me. Uh, I, I didn't even come to be served. I didn't come for the accolades. Uh, I, I came to serve. And, and so Jesus is saying uh, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man came to serve us. And, and in the text that we read, verse 32, we see already an explanation of how Jesus would serve. Uh, before he went to the cross, he had explained on at least three occasions to his disciples, here's how I'm going to serve you. Here's what I'm going to do. 
So in the passage that was read, if we back up to verse 32, it says that they were on on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of his disciples at this point. This is before they get to Jericho. And it says that they were amazed, and those who were following were afraid. And taking the twelve again, this is the third time, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This was the third explanation of Jesus' suffering. And it brought so much confusion to the disciples. It brought so much fear to the disciples. They, They couldn't understand. They were amazed that Jesus would continue on this you know, dead set on going to Jerusalem to lose his life at the hands of the religious leaders and the Romans. But this was what Jesus had come to do all along. He came to serve us. He came to serve in this way. It says again in verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and, and, and how? And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus came to serve. He came to lay down his life. He came to allow himself to be beaten, to be uh, marred, to be whipped, to be spit, to be, uh, to, to be spit on, to be mocked, to be reviled. to take our place. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of David, came to serve us. But what does this serving accomplish? I mean, if I threw myself in front of somebody's fist and I served you in that way, I think you would be grateful I guess you could have taken the hit yourself. But what is this dying on the cross? How does this serve us? How does this being mocked and beaten, how does that serve you and me? How are we served by Jesus in this, through these actions, through this behavior? Well, once again, verse 45 helps us to see Jesus' purpose. It is in order to give you, give to you, uh, a ransom, to, be, to give his life as a ransom for many. So the Son of Man came to serve us, and by his ransom and by these actions that he uh, was willing to undergo for our behalf to serve us in the, that way, he also saves us. The Son of Man came to serve us, and the Son of Man came to save us. See, a ransom was a payment to release someone from some kind of bondage. A ransom was something that if you were a prisoner of war, or if you were a a, a slave, or if you were in debt, then a ransom was the payment that was made in order to free you of that debt. And so you can imagine somebody who was a a prisoner of war uh, being freed because someone paid the ransom. Or someone who was in debt up to their eyeballs and and just could not pay their way out of it. And for someone to come along and pay the penalty or pay the the debt, pay the remainder of that balance 
so that you could be free. Those would have been wonderful gifts. And so this ransom, when Jesus says that he came to be a ransom for many, he's saying that he is paying a debt. And that Jesus sees his own death as a ransom to release many from bondage. He is paying what others could not pay so that they might go free. He is willing to substitute himself, his own life, at the cost of his life, in order to purchase others' freedom. Now, I think there's something that needs to be clarified here. Because we hear this idea of ransom. Well, who is Jesus paying this ransom to? And I think we need to be cautioned that Jesus is not negotiating with Satan, with the adversary. He is not negotiating with terrorists here for our release. Instead, Jesus is paying the penalty that is required by the judge. It is a righteous payment. It is a righteous requirement that you and I must give our lives as a payment for the disobedience and for the crimes that we've committed against a holy and righteous judge. You and I don't deserve another breath of life standing before a holy and righteous God. So don't think that this is a payment or a negotiation with Satan. Satan's not even in the, in the middle of this negotiation. Jesus is showing his defeat over Satan, but this is a payment to a holy and righteous judge that requires a blood sacrifice for your sin. You have violated God's commands so grievously that you deserve the the death penalty. And yet Jesus sees in his own death, he recognizes that as he gives his life, that he is paying the penalty that you never could have paid. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus was willing to lay down his life in order to bring you into his forgiveness. And in Acts 20, 28, the elders that Paul speaks to, he he reminds them, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. But this was not just a New Testament concept. This was something that God had been planning all along. In Isaiah 52, verse 15 it says that there would be this suffering servant, as we, as we uh, uh, use that expression uh, to, to indicate who Isaiah is referring to, but, but this suffering servant, this, this servant of the Lord would come and he would sprinkle many nations. And in so doing, he would, uh, he, he would bring this good news, this ransom would be paid to more than just the Jewish nation. And in Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 12, it says, The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. And when you make him a guilt offering, this suffering servant, when you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see light and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mighty as spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. God is so gracious to us. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for the very people who were taking his life. Jesus was willing to give his life for yours so that you might have life and have it in abundance. And so as we come to the end of this story, we, we read that the sons of Zebedee still didn't quite get it. It's going to take the cross and the resurrection for James and John to really understand that Jesus had to give his life and that he was rise on the third day. And we saw the son of Timaeus, Bartimaeus, and we saw how Jesus saw him. Jesus um, recognized him. Jesus uh, called for him. And Bartimaeus not only received his sight, but he received his purpose. He received faith. He was given the, the gift of faith in Jesus as the son of David, as the king of kings and lord of lords. But most importantly, and I hope you didn't miss this, most importantly, we saw the son of David, the, the rightful heir to the throne of David. We saw the son of man, Jesus' own designation for himself. We saw him in his humanity. But I think all of those lead us to conclude that this is not just some other man, that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that he truly is uh, the, the, the righteous one. He's the one that all the prophets predicted, that, that pointed forward to. He's the one that, that, uh, that was willing to give his life as a ransom for many. He was the one who was willing to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. In Colossians 1, verse 13 through 15, Jesus is said that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I hope that today, this afternoon, that you see Jesus for who he is. See, the blind sons of Zebedee, they're they're, ultimately, they're going to get it, right? We know the rest of the story for them. The son of Timaeus, wow, you know, just in an instant, he received his physical sight, but he was also able to see Jesus uh, as the one who could cleanse him and forgive him and, and to begin following him. So I hope that this afternoon that you truly see Jesus for who he is, that you understand why he came. He came because of your sin. He came to clean you up from that sin and to forgive you and to make you righteous before God. Not because of any works that you did or, or any rights that you, that you have, but because of his own grace and because of the mercy of God, Jesus gave his own life to save you. So I want to invite you to follow Jesus today. Follow Jesus Cast aside your comforts. Cast aside your privileges, your status, 
Uh, trade in your status as either a blind beggar or, or whatever your status may be <clears throat> and receive your new identity as a child of God because your family can't save you, right? It doesn't matter who you're a son of. It doesn't matter who you're a daughter of. I mean, it does matter. But as far as salvation is concerned, it only matters that you trust in Jesus, who is the Son of God. And so follow Jesus with your life. Follow him on his way. Do as he would lead you to do. And if he calls you to serve, serve. If he calls you um, to a trial or to go through a, a, a form of suffering for his name's sake, then endure that trial for his glory. At the end of the day, um, I think it's important for us all to understand that Jesus, when he says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Obviously, we can't serve in the same way that Jesus did, but we need to adopt the same attitude that Jesus had, that we, we are not here to be served, but to serve. We want to point people to Jesus and let him be the ransom for many. But in our activity, in our actions, that we should be not here to, to be served, but to serve. If you're married, you didn't get married to be served, but to serve. Um, if you're a parent, then you didn't become a parent to be served, you know that, but to serve. You didn't have children to be served, but to serve. You didn't get your job to be served, but to serve. You didn't come to church today to be served, but to serve. You don't live in the neighborhood in which you've been brought to, to be served, but to serve. And I'm looking out at this, this room, and I see older and younger people. What if the older generation in this room said, I'm not here to be served, but to serve? And what if the younger generation in this room said, I'm not here to be served, but to serve? What if we all had the attitude of Christ Jesus? And whether you're an elder or an administrator or a child or a grown-up or a grandparent, if your attitude was, I'm not here to be served, but to serve, imagine what God might do through the faithful service of followers of Jesus here at this church. Let's pray that we are not only faithful to follow Jesus, but that we would serve him for his glory. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your love and your grace. And Lord, we thank you that, um, that we had this opportunity to look at these two stories and to see how faithful you have been, how, how Jesus always showed and reflected compassion and love. Um, we thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. We thank you, Jesus, for being willing to sacrifice all for us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting us of our sin and regenerating our hearts so that we might Receive Jesus by faith. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.